Come on, why don't you clap your hands into Jesus? As you're doing so, why don't you lift up your voice and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. I feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. I don't know about you, but I feel a little bit of a residual anointing from Sunday afternoon. Why don't we just lift our hands to heaven right now and just say, Lord, have your way in this service. Have your way in this service. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. One more time, why don't you clap your hands unto the Lord and give him praise. Hallelujah. How many believe anything can happen? If you have your Bibles tonight, the book of Acts chapter number 8, verse number 26. So good to be in the house of the Lord, to feel what we feel here tonight. I give honor to Bishop Mayo in his absence, and Sister Mayo. Amen. And in fact, tonight he asked me to preach or teach specifically on the subject of the importance of Bible studies and personal evangelism. And so, with the help of the Holy Ghost, I intend on obeying that assignment. If I could get just a little bit more monitor, that would help me out. Amen. But if you have your Bibles, the book of Acts chapter number 8, verses 26, if you're visiting here tonight and you don't have the Holy Ghost, and you've never spoken in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance, I hope tonight that you will leave this place having that experience. Amen. If you're there, say amen. amen. Acts chapter number 8, verses 26, it says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And I would like to submit to you my subject title tonight, and that is angels have limits. Angels have limits. Let's put our Bibles down and let's begin to pray for God to help us. God, in the name of Jesus, we come before you tonight. God, we know that we are in need of a touch from your word. I pray, God, that you would touch my mind, that I could think your thoughts, and that you would, God, touch the ears of the hearers, that they might receive with meekness the engrafted word of God. In the name of Jesus, and everybody shouted a hearty amen. One more time, why don't you clap your hands unto the Lord and give him praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, we love you. God bless you. You can be seated. The Bible is full of angelic and divine interventions. The first angelic intervention was when angels were sent to guard the gates of Eden with flaming swords, sealing the exile of Adam and Eve from the garden. It was an angel that ministered to the starving and dehydrated and desperate Hagar and Ishmael in the wilderness. After the Abrahamic covenant was sealed, it was angels that visited the recovering Abram, thus instituting the biblical tradition of visiting the sick. It was angels who rescued Lot and his family from Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. It was angels that Jacob saw descending and ascending, leading him to declare the place where he was, Bethel, or the house of God in Genesis 28. It was an angel whom Jacob wrestled with until the breaking of day. It touched his tie, 
shrinking the sinew, but at the same time expanding his destiny and his influence. It was angels that met him as he would travel later on in Genesis 48. In fact, angels were present at the giving of the law, according to Deuteronomy 33 and 2 and Psalms 68 and 17. It was an angel that warned Balaam. It was angels that rebuked Israel, angels that cursed the enemies of Israel. It was angels that ministered to Elijah, giving him physical strength in 1 Kings chapter number 19. It was angels who laid to waste the armies of Assyrians in 2 Kings 19. It was angels that saved three Hebrew boys from the fiery furnace and preserved Daniel in the lion's den. It was angels that announced the birth of Samson, of John the Baptist, and Jesus. And it was angels that ministered to Jesus after his temptation in the wilderness. Angels can wield flaming swords behind us to prevent us from going back to our old ways. Angels can be in front of us, leading us to freedom and safety. Angels can minister in times of great physical distress, warn us of danger, inform us of the perfect will of God for our lives. They can be dispatched to deal with our enemies and rescue us from danger. But tonight, I would like to preach to you that angels do have limitations. Angels cannot preach the gospel. They cannot testify. They cannot teach about Acts 2.38. In fact, the Bible says it's because only the redeemed of the Lord can say so. And I've come to preach to a group of apostolic Pentecostals tonight, uh, amen, who are waiting on divine intervention. I come to preach to you that we don't need angels. Uh, we need the saints of God to rise up uh, because there is a job that only the saints of God can do. There is a... In our text tonight, we are confronted with the limitation of an angel. In Acts chapter number 8, an angel finds, wake up, excuse me, an angel finds Philip and tells him to wake up and sends himself, amen, to preach. He doesn't know where he's going to preach, but at this point, all we know is that what happens after this point is simply left up to Philip. The angel cannot go any further. He's been dispatched, amen, and now he has done his job. In the very uh, next two chapters, we find in Acts chapter number 10, an angel goes to Cornelius, who would be the recipient of the gospel. And we see that angels can be on either end of the evangelistic effort. Amen. Angels can stir up a saint or they can respond to the hunger of a sinner. But they cannot interfere in the process called the preaching of the gospel. And I've come here tonight to remind someone, amen, that you matter in the kingdom of heaven. Because there are things that you can do that not even Michael the archangel can do. There are things that you can say that not even Gabriel can say. And that is, I've been washed. I've been redeemed. I've been blood-bought. I've been saved. I've been justified. In the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of our God, I've come to preach to someone who feels like they have nothing to offer. I mean, there is an angel that wishes they could say what you could say. I mean, there's a, there's a divine messenger that wishes they could testify like you could testify. I mean, Somebody better help me preach. Amen. I'm looking at a group of people here today. You might not think you're anybody. Amen. But I'm telling you to some sinner. Amen. Who's drunk. Who's. Amen. I'm telling you. You're the angel tonight. You're the messenger. You've got the gospel.
So Philip gets up and he goes. The first and the most important imperative of the Great Commission is that we have to go. Somebody once said two-thirds of God is go. And I know it's taking poetic license, but it works for me. But Jesus told them in Matthew 28, he says that you are to go. That's the first commandment. Amen. God is not looking for people, amen, who are simply going to, uh, 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 to, to sit. And, and, and as the angel said, to stand up gazing. Hallelujah. But at some point, we have to mobilize in order to evangelize. God is looking for someone who is simply willing to go. Doesn't matter where, but just go. And, and what do I mean by just, I'm not talking about just going anywhere. I'm talking about going with the express and explicit purpose of being a witness amen, for the kingdom of God and for the sake of the gospel. So don't just go to the store. Go to the store. I mean, don't just go to go get coffee. You need to go and get coffee. I mean, start turning every start turning every trip that you take, uh, I mean, into a into an expedition for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, when you're apostolic, you don't, you don't just go to the store or go to the bank. And then you go with a capital G-O, hallelujah. And I'm telling you, you don't have to wake up every day and think, well, I don't have time to outreach. I don't have time to do this, no. And then you are living, breathing, walking, testimony, seen and read of all men. Everywhere you go. We will be nudged. We will be urged. We will be stirred, and all of us have felt it, the nudging and the stirring of an angel that says, talk to that person. And some of us have ignored it. I preach to myself as much as I'm preaching to anybody else. I'm, I'm, here, I'm here to bring clarity to that past experience you might have had. I mean, I'm telling you, this is serious business. I had a coworker that God, I mean, I felt, I felt the nudging of an angel that had found his limits. And I felt something that said, just talk to him. And it wasn't until I finally decided to talk to him, it was my last day on the job. Amen. Talk about a big L. And, you know, I felt convicted, and I, and I, but I felt good about myself because I finally responded after months and months. And I got him in one Bible study, and the next week he was in a parking lot of Walmart. Someone pulled up and shot him in the chest. Now, listen, I have to live with that burden. But you know what? I pray that you never have to live with that burden. Because you know what? All of us have been to the place. We've encountered an angel who had met his limit. And all he could do, amen, was give us the directive and give us the nudge and release us. But if we quench that voice, I'm telling you, somebody's life is on the line. And I'm here to preach to you. Go ahead and respond. Go ahead and say, Lord, who is it? Lord, who needs you? God, who needs help? I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed. It's time to stand up and put our fears aside, put our insecurities aside, and realize that someone will be lost. Someone will be on their way to eternal damnation unless I respond, amen, to the nudging of the spirits. I don't know about you, but all I want in this last day is to be saved and to make sure people I run into get saved. I want to be saved, but I want my family to be saved. I want to... 
I don't want to go to heaven empty-handed. I don't want to go to heaven alone. I want to go with loved ones. Amen. I want to go with friends. I want to go with co-workers. I want to go with neighbors. I want to... Verse 27, pull up Acts 8, 27. Look, it says this, and it says, And he arose, and he went, and he went. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. This was not a Gentile. He was a proselyted Jew. Amen. This was a man of authority. This was a man of great education and wealth. He was an accountant. He had means of transportation. He had a position of authority. He had access to a scroll of Isaiah, which was no small feat in that ancient time. And he was literate enough to read and understand, but ultimately struggling to make sense of what he was reading. There are people out there. They might have money. They might have position. They might have authority. They might have power. They might even have fancy belongings and fancy possessions. But ultimately, they're still searching for truth. Ultimately, they're still searching for truth. And there's Philip. I mean, the name Philip means lover of horses. But as far as, I'm, as far as I know, he didn't have a horse that day. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. And we, can be, and we can be intimidated by the fact, uh, I mean, that we don't have the tools that we love, uh, I mean, in order to evangelize or reach the world. That we might be intimidated, I mean, because the people that at times we are reaching, they may be more materially successful than we are. But that should not stop us or intimidate us from preaching the gospel. Somebody said, well, preacher, I have car problems. I can't take people to church. The car problem being that you don't have a car, praise God. <laughs> Amen. But I'm here to preach to you tonight that it does not matter what you feel you don't have. And it does not matter how inadequate you feel you are. It doesn't matter how uneducated you think you are. You have something that someone else is searching for. And that's all you need to know. I don't know who I'm preaching to. I mean, I can remember times in my life where I gave in to the intimidation that says, you can't teach. I mean, you can't witness. I mean, you can't do this. And I'm telling you, I had to fight and I had to wrestle to get to the place where I threw away all those insecurities and said, if this person is hungry, I'm going to give them everything I got. I'm here to preach to a young person. I'm here to preach to a college student. You might feel like you're not, uh, you're not adequately educated enough, that you're not experienced enough. You just go ahead and give them Acts 2.38 and see what God does. You just go ahead and give them John chapter number 3 and then verses 3 through 5 and see what God does. You just go ahead and preach Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. You just give them what you got and let God worry about the rest. Hallelujah. The Spirit in verse 29 said to Philip, Go, go near and join thyself to this chariot. He's moved now from being directed by an angel to being directed by the Spirit of God himself. As we commit to going, with every step that we take, God gives us further clarity. At times when we go out, we don't know who we're going to talk to. We don't know who we're going to meet. But if we go with purpose, the Spirit will begin to reveal to us, amen, what, 
what the need of the hour is. And so it does not matter that you don't have an objective at times or that you do not have a subject or that you do not have a target. If we are simply willing to make ourselves available, amen, to the spirit of God, God, God will simply begin to orchestrate, amen, and divinely, amen, orchestrate in time our, our meeting with someone who is in need of a word or who is in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you might be thinking, I don't know who to talk to. Just go and let God handle that. I don't, I don't know who needs a Bible study. Just go and let God handle that. I, I don't know who I, could, who I could give a flyer to. Just go and let God handle that. And so he doesn't just walk up to him, but the Bible says that he ran to him. And what we have to do when we lack the resources that we think we should have, and when we lack maybe the finances that we think we should have, is we have to make up in effort what we lack in resources. And what God is looking for nowadays more than anything else is people who will get on the ground and hit the ground running when they see a lost soul. What God is looking for is someone who will say, that person needs me in the altar, and you make a beeline straight for them. God is looking for someone who's going to put some faith, amen, into every single step, and go ahead and just sprint, amen, believing that God has directed you, that God has aligned your destinies, and that God has orchestrated your meeting. Amen, I'm to the point now in my life where nobody I meet is a coincidence. I don't care who, who they are, where they come from. If you ran into me, it's Bible study time. Hallelujah. Amen. Because you know what? We don't have time to play. We don't have time to waste. Jesus is coming back. And we need to be running. We need to be running. We need to be running to outreach. Running to the altar. Running the Sunday. Come on. Can somebody stand up and say, I'll run. I'll run. I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll go to the world. Oh, somebody help me preach. Hallelujah. God is looking for people who are willing to execute at the level they're at and who are not willing to give up because they don't have what they think they should have or they're not as educated as they think they should be. It's like when God said to Moses, I mean, on, on the Mount Sinai, in front of the burning bush, what is in your hand? What have I given you? What have I equipped you with at this moment that you can use? And you might be thinking, I don't even have a staff in my hand. Well, do you got hands? I mean, do you got feet? Whatever you have use it use it whatsoever amen i'm the the more the more time goes on and the closer that we get to the coming of the lord the less i feel like i've done every time i teach a bible study every time i witness every time any any of these things happen something unique is happening i don't feel to let off the gas. And I know that people have been, you've been paying attention around here lately. There are visitors every service. In fact, there's some visitors here tonight. And some of you are wondering why you're here, how you got here. It's because the Spirit of the Lord wanted you here. Amen. And it's because somebody, and it's because somebody had a burden enough and meant to reach out to you. That doesn't happen by accident. I mean, that happens when people come up against the limitation, the angelic limitation, and then they begin to obey the Spirit of God, and then they begin to, listen, nothing, nothing that is happening here is happening by accident. 
And so the Bible says that he joined himself to the chariot. In Acts chapter number 8, verses 30, it says, Philip ran thither to him, and he heard him read the prophet Esaias, and he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? This is something I find very interesting. The more and more I, I go on social media, the more disappointed I am with, with some people's perception of how evangelism is supposed to happen. Because we're running into, we're, we're running into a problem as, as a society and specifically as apostolic Pentecostals where we're trying to relegate and outsource amen, the obligation and the duty to reach the lost to, to the digital world. I'm just going to be honest and just, I just got to say what I got to say. Amen. You know, somebody the other day came to me and said, hey, we should have a t-shirt that says, ask me about a Bible study. And I said, absolutely not. Because you know what? We're obsessed with passive evangelism. <laughs> Can I just preach? Hallelujah. I'm supposed to be getting them. They're not supposed to be getting me. It would be easy to wear a t-shirt, and guess what? Some of us had the t-shirt, didn't teach the Bible study. Praise God. <laughs> We're obsessed with passive evangelism. And listen, in theory, everything works. But biblically, there's only one gold standard, and that is we go to them. Let me say it one more time. In theory, everything works. But biblically, there is one golden standard. And that is we go. Because our Savior went. He went from heaven to earth. And if, hey, our Lord and Savior manifested himself in flesh. Amen. We can get off the couch on a Saturday morning. Hallelujah. He, he went, so I go. Listen, there's a doctrine out there. Now, I'm treading on thin ice here. I am thankful that there is a pastor here who has set the tone and the example for personal evangelism. Because not everywhere you go does the pastor engage in evangelism. And as an evangelist, I've observed that. And I began to pray because there were pastors who were asking me to come and to teach and to preach on this subject. And I was becoming frustrated because I would preach and teach on this subject. And there would be no fruit. And nothing would happen. And it wasn't until later on I discovered that there is this sneaky doctrine that has snuck into Pentecost. And it's called the shepherd don't make sheep doctrine. Only sheep can make sheep. And I cannot find anything more unbiblical. I can't find anything more lazy than that. You ought to be thankful that you got a bishop and a pastor who will teach a Bible study to anything that's walking, breathing, living. Because that anointing, that anointing flows from the leadership to the congregation and from the congregation to the community. You ought to be on your feet right now. Hallelujah. 
I could preach it until I'm blue in the face. But I'm telling you, it's got to get into the DNA of the congregation. And the only way that can happen is if it's transmitted from the top, amen, to the bottom. Amen, from the pastor to the youngest student. It doesn't matter if you're 10, 12. Amen, you can win a soul. It doesn't matter if you're 14. You can teach a Bible study. It doesn't matter doesn't matter how long you've been retired uh, oh you you still got it uh, I've come to preach to an elder saint of God saint of God you still got it uh, amen hallelujah saint of God you still got it uh, mother in Zion you still have it <laughs> hallelujah we cannot outsource evangelism you can't have a expensive enough promotional campaign you can't have a wide-reaching enough mail campaign I remember one time I was speaking to a pastor and he was lamenting the fact that they had spent thousands on a barbecue hundreds of people showed up and he said we only got the contact information for one family and he was lamenting the fact that they had spent thousands upon thousands of dollars. And I'm telling you, the answer to our problems in the evangelistic field is not to throw more money at the problem. It's never been a financial issue. Because the entire responsibility of preaching the gospel to the whole world was left to 12 men who between them probably didn't have two pennies to rub together. Let's stop lying to ourselves and saying that we need more money and more technology and more social media. No, what we need is people who are willing to run. What we need... What we need are saints of God who are committed and who are tenacious and who are willing to put in the blood and then the sweat and the tears to pray on a Wednesday, outreach on a Saturday. To pray them through on a Sunday and to invite them back on a Tuesday and to do it week in and week out, 365, 24-7. When you're having trials, still running. When you're having marital problems, still running. When you're broke, busted, and disgusted, still running. So here we come to the point where he asked them the question. Do you understand what you're reading? And we have to make assessments and we have to ask questions to the people that we run into. Do you understand what you're reading? Have you received the Holy Ghost? There is no more important question in the world than have you received the Holy Ghost? Amen. That should be the first thing you ask someone the moment the conversation starts to go in that direction. And he says, how can I, in verse 34, excuse me, he says, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? So he had questions about the nature of this prophecy. In verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth. Listen. The only way this is going to work is if the saints of God open up their mouth. 
well, I don't know what to say. Don't worry about it. You just speak. Let God fill your mouth. Some of you have testimonies of times where you were called on the carpet and the Holy Ghost helped you. Anybody ever been there? I mean, you started preaching notes. You, ain't, you know you never had those notes. And the anointing got on you. You have to understand that revelation is dispensed on a needs basis. And so if somebody needs revelation and you're the only thing in between them and that revelation, then God has to go through you. And so we have to start viewing, viewing ourselves, amen, as invisible, as transparent, amen, as simply reflecting, amen, and allowing the word of God to flow through us and the light of God to shine through us. And so you have to get to the point where you just open up your mouth and let God begin to speak through you. And so he opened up his mouth and he began at that same scripture. So he began there, but we don't really know where he ended. Now I have an idea of where he might have ended. You see, this man was traveling alone. I don't mean to belabor you with uh, details, but you should know that he was an Ethiopian eunuch. Amen. This man, there was no possibility that he would ever start a family. And uh, this, that privilege was forcibly taken from him, if you would. And this man was Jewish. So we are presented with a problem. He had gone to Jerusalem for to worship. He had made the pilgrimage, but he most likely when he got there, he was notified that because he was unwhole, that he could not enter into the temple. But he was still devout, and he was still hungry, and so he makes his way back home. The hunger has not died down, but because, amen, he was rejected from a house of worship, this unique and divine appointment has been set, and I believe Amen. That if you continue to read your Bible and you go to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 56, verses 3. If you can pull that up, hallelujah. Isaiah 56, verses 3. It says this Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. Verse 4. For thus saith the Lord, amen, unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbath and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant. Verse 5, even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. I want to bring to your attention the fact that the place where he was reading, amen, was from Isaiah chapter number 53 verses 7. Let's go there. Amen. This is the place where the eunuch was reading when he was found. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. So here was this man. He was unable to enter into the temple because he was unwhole. And so he goes home reading Isaiah chapter number 53. But what he doesn't know is in chapter number 56, amen, God has a plan for his life. Here's a man who has no hope of progeny, who has no hope of passing on his legacy to his children. He has no hope of entering into a place of worship. He had been abandoned. He'd been betrayed. He'd been let down. But he ran into an apostolic Pentecostal. 
And Philip said, I know what you're reading and I know where you're going. And I know that God has a plan for your life. Listen, nobody could have orchestrated this on their own. Nobody but Jesus. And when God knows where people are at, he just needs someone to find them. He just needs some. Let's clap our hands and give him some praise. Amen. God is looking for someone. Amen. The eyes of the Lord are, are in the earth. They're going to and fro. He's looking for a situation. God has already got people in this city. Amen. He already has a plan for their life. What God is waiting on. Amen. Is a good saying of God to go, to go, to get up and to go and to run and to find them. God has already worked out the details. He's already got the words for you to say. God is not looking for your ability. He's looking for your availability. And if somebody would rise up and say, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to outsource my obligation, amen, to somebody else. Amen, I'm not going to say, well, amen, the outreach team is out there doing their thing today. Amen, God has someone that he needs you to reach. Because if you don't, ain't nobody else will. And so, this interaction serves as the archetypal interaction. But some people are not willing to humble themselves to this degree. Because some people believe that one-on-one -on -one evangelism is somehow beneath them. Amen. God forbid it's a young preacher. Well, somebody said amen. Hallelujah. The worst thing that a young preacher can do is not teach Bible studies. In fact, I mean, some people ask me, brother, you have a place to preach this weekend? Sometimes I think I don't. And then I remember I have a Bible study. <laughs> oh, actually, I do got somewhere to preach. Yes, it might be, might be at the laundromat, but I got somewhere to go. Hallelujah. I mean, I'm telling you, when you're called of God, you always have a place to preach. It's whether you show up or not. So listen to this. He says in verse 38, Acts 8, 38, excuse me, let's go back to, let's rewind this. I want you to go to verse 31. I'm going to backtrack a little bit here. Because to the best of my ability, and as God allows me to preach, my goal is to make sure that young people have a conviction about winning souls. In verse 31, he said, how can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he should come up. Now, everybody likes to come up, hallelujah. Everybody likes that part. That's the part where you are briefly elevated in your ministry. Everybody likes to come up, but the next part is that he desires him to sit down. And I'm telling you, there's too many young preachers who are in love with the come up, but they're not in love with the sit down. They're in love with the elevation, but they're not in love with the home Bible study. They're in love with the platform, but they're not in love with the kitchen table. Let me tell you this right now. Amen. If you... The come up is predicated on your willingness to sit down, open up your Bible, and preach the word of God. 
and we have a generation of young men amen who are watching social media preachers amen that you're watching them come up you're watching them be elevated be glorified be worshiped be idolized but i'm telling you i don't see half of these guys amen breaking out breaking out the bible or the chart I, you you can as they say nowadays you can miss me with all that i want to see a chart i want to see a track i want to see I don't want to see your highlight reel. I, I don't want to see a 10-second clip and then about something that... Look, can I just be real or can I be real? And then social media is skewing. And then the perception of young people and the perception of ministry and the perception of service and the perception of... And I'm telling you, it's not about the come up. It's about will you sit down after you come up? It's about being elevated and then being and then being available. It's a, it's about being it's about being elevated but not being afraid. I mean to sit down one more time and teach one more Bible study. Amen. So help us God. Amen. I rebuke that spirit that all it wants is to be glorified. I'm telling you that's the spirit of the age and I rebuke it. There's going to be a generation of young people. Amen who are devil chasers. Amen. Isle runners. And guess what? They do it when the camera's off. They do it when the gram's off. They do it. They do it and they don't tweet about it. I'm going to add, I'm going to add to the aisle running. I'm going to add one more little tagline. I'm a one God apostolic. Yes, yes, yes. But I'm going to add one more thing. I'm a chariot chaser. If I see anybody that I think needs the Holy Ghost, I'm running. I'm running. I'm running. And it's time for somebody to stand up and say, my chariot chasing career begins today. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet all over this house. Musicians, help me. Hallelujah. Save the people. Amen. From the crazy man. Hallelujah. You're just going to have to forgive me. Some of you are thinking, you know what, Brother Keith, that sounds good. But I just got some situations going on in my life right now. And as soon as I get them sorted out, maybe I'll have the ability to, to outreach. Because I don't quite feel worthy right now. Listen, if you're young and you're struggling with your consecration, the best thing you can do is throw yourself into the harvest. There's too many young men who are struggling and they're burning up because they have no purpose. Listen, when you got a Bible study to teach on Saturday morning, you won't stay up late Friday night doing who knows God what. There are archetypes and biblical patterns for soul winning everywhere in the Bible. There's some of you, you, you see people and you think, you feel that nudge, you think, oh, that person doesn't need Jesus. They need Jesus. Joseph, the story of Joseph is an archetype of evangelism. Here's a guy, he's down and out. 
He's in the pits. But he has potential. He's in the pit, but he has potential. I'm telling you, there are people out there, they make good saints. They just need somebody to find them. There are archetypes of soul winners. You think, Brother Keith, I'm, just, I'm not the soul winning type. No, but there's a particular type of soul winning that you can do. You see, there was Ananias. He was preaching to Paul, criminal. There's some people here, I mean, you can just go to the hood and you can just talk to anybody. Not all of us can do that. Some of us, we come from unique ethnic backgrounds and that gives us an avenue and an, and an inroad. I don't speak Spanish. Some of you do. And then some of you, you're open-minded. You're willing to go out. You're willing to have your Paradigms challenge like Peter. He grew up one way, Jewish, but God sent him to the Italian guy's house and he had pork sausage for dinner. <laughs> Man, I taught a Bible study one time and this lady said, try this fruit. And it was durian. If you don't know what durian is, you just don't know what you're missing, praise God. Amen. If you know what it is, you know that was a terrible joke. It's a fruit that is so combustible. I mean, she said if I mean she said it blew up in her bag on the way from the country she came from. I mean, this stuff, I mean, it just got gases and fumes. It's just nuclear powered. I don't know what it is. But you know what? When you're just willing to get outside your comfort zone and let God do something through you. When you're willing to run. When you got better, when, when you think you have better things to do. And then you see Jonah is another archetype of soul winner. He's the soul winner who backslid, but then he came back and he thought he couldn't be used, but God still used him. There's some of you, you, you've left, you've come back, and guess what? God will still use you to win a soul. I don't see anywhere where in the Bible where... We have a choice. We have a choice of what we're going to do when we confront the limitation of angels. The Bible says the angels of the Lord encampeth around them that fear him. You know, we're in awe sometimes because we can feel an angelic host all around us. We can feel it in every service. We can feel it in prayer. We can feel it in pre-service prayer. We can feel it during altar. We can feel it during... But what you need to realize is they're looking at us with just as much awe. <laughs> because we have a song that the angels cannot sing. And we're constantly looking for that angelic encounter. And that angel is constantly looking at you thinking, my goodness, I can't do that. You got to do that. And we have a choice of what we do when we confront that limitation. Are we going to quench it? Are we going to stifle it? Are we going to go ahead and let that anointing begin to flow? Uh, let's pray right now in the name of Jesus. Every hand lifted, every eye.
God is calling someone to be a soul winner like you've never won souls before. There's someone here, you're just getting started. There's a young person here, there's a young man here. I'm telling you, you have no clue what God is going to do through you if you would just yield yourself and submit yourself. And as we begin to sing in just a moment, if, if tonight, if tonight you are making a declaration, amen, and a notice, if you are putting the devil on, on notice tonight that you're not going to quench the spirit, I want you to begin to make your way up to this altar right now in the name of Jesus. Tonight here, if you're a seasoned saint, and you have a lot of testimonies. God wants to give you more testimonies. The angels have reached their limit in the city of Spokane. The angels have reached, have reached their divine limit in the city of Spokane. If anything is going to happen, it's up to this group of people right here. Nothing, nothing happens in, in, the, in, in the divine realm beyond this point. We've reached the limit. The angels have done what they need to do. They have divinely assisted and provided and protected closed and opened doors ministered to us but now the angelic host is standing at a complete standstill the flutter of wings can no longer be heard the wings are no longer covering their faces as they're now fixed on not the heavenly host but the redeemed host The heavenly realm is no longer the center of attention. It's this group of people that has determined and made up their mind here tonight that if there is going to be revival, it's going to be because you got involved, I got involved, we got involved, and we didn't let up, and we kept preaching, and we kept teaching, and we kept doing it through thick and through thin, through trials, through tribulation, through through summer, through spring, through fall, through winter, through snow, through through hail, through sleet, through rain, through tribulations and trials. We kept on reaching and preaching and teaching. And I'm here tonight to declare, amen, by the spirit of prophecy that I feel on me right now, that we are going to see the most unprecedented revival that the Northwest and this region of the country has ever seen. Not because we neglected our abilities or our duties, but because the individuals made up in their minds, I will run. I will run. When I have nothing, I will run. When there's no money, I will run. Let's lift our hands to heaven right now. Somebody pray right now. Lord, give me a soul. Give me a soul. Send me a soul. My life, my to thee. 